Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to the latest Andy J podcast. Hope you're having a really good week. And whatever you're doing, however your week is going, lend me your ears for the next hour and a bit. And I hope that at the very least, you'll have a distracting entertainment. And at the most, you'll be absolutely gripped, engaged and thrilled because the three guys we have on the show for you today are remarkable people. I will say that. I'm often telling you how great our celebrities are, but it's because we are smashing it. We are getting offered so many cool conversations and so many fascinating guests. We're very, very lucky. It's, you know... I don't want to name people that we're saying no to, but we're in the situation where we are offered lots of people for the show. And genuinely, 70% of those we say, thanks so much for, for contacting us, but we're cool, we're cool, we're, we're, we're all right. We, uh, we'll stick to the people we're really engaged by and really excited by. And these three guys fall into that category. In reverse order, we have former Top Gear man, Mr. Rory Reed. Now, for those of you that are Top Gear aficionados, you will know Rory only had a fleeting spell on Top Gear, just a couple of seasons, and he also did extra gear on, I think it was BBC Three and online. And so Rory has, he's Top Gear battle scarred, if that makes sense. You know, he's, he had the dream. He had it in his hands and he was living it. And then, of course, it did go away, which... I mean, I've never been in that situation, I've never been offered Top Gear and I've never hosted it, but I can imagine if you do host it, if you do get to that point, you probably feel on top of the world. So to lose it after a very short period of time, I imagine must have been absolutely crushing. So Rory and I discuss that, we discuss how he's bounced back. He's gone on to do some very cool things, says Rory, and he's won awards since leaving Top Gear. He has not let it beat him, and more power to him for that. I like him a lot, I've met him a couple of times, he's great company, he's an engaging guy, and yeah, I just think he, he brings really good conversation. Sandwiched in the middle, our second guest today, Olympic gold legend, Darren Campbell. Now, Darren, his story is utterly remarkable, okay? Here's a guy that went from a potential life of crime and he watched a friend of his being killed in a, in a gang attack. Well, he didn't watch it, as in he, he wasn't witness to it, but he was, he was in and around that scene. So his chapter of his life... In, the, in that time, when he had a big decision to make, could have gone in a very different direction. Here's a guy that could have very, very realistically ended up in prison. Instead, he ended up on the top step of the podium at the Olympic Games. An incredible story. Absolutely fascinating guy. And I must say, I loved chatting to him because he. Uh, there's nothing you couldn't ask him that he wasn't prepared to answer. Really, really interesting guy. So Darren Campbell is our second guest, and I, and I think he's going to... Uh, lots of people know Darren Campbell, but probably don't know his story. I didn't, and I found it absolutely captivating. So I, I hope you feel the same. And our first guest, 
We're going to start with a boy's own star. Why not? I've known Shane Lynch for a while, uh, a few years now. He's a good guy. He's in and around the car scene an awful lot, which is how I've got to know him so well from drifting and various other events. He's come on the Driven Chat podcast, our automotive spin-off show, and he's great company. Well, let's just get in with it, shall we? Here is Boyzone's Shane Lynch. The Andy J Podcast. Shane, welcome to the show. What, what I'm really excited to be able to chat to you. We've met a few times over the years, but we've not really... We're always talking about cars and drifting and tyres burning and all that kind of stuff. I get a chance to talk to you about you. So I'm going to start with a completely random one for you. Is this true? You have twin sisters who were in Bewitched. Yeah, man, that's pretty Brilliant. true. Very Love true. it. Love it. Because I, I told someone I was coming to chat to you today. Right. And she was like, you're kidding, ask him about his sisters. And I didn't know that. I've got, uh, I've got five sisters. And I'm the only boy. Hand-me-downs were awful. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, in all of, our, of all of our family, there's only one of the girls who never was signed to a record label and never made an album. So we're all, we're a musical family, technically. That's nuts. Hang on. So the one girl who wasn't signed, is that from choice? Or? Yeah, yeah. That's, she, well, she went out to the States. She was headhunted by a company in the States and she's been living out there working on uh, computer shit. I don't know. There's <laughs> computer stuff. So, this yeah. is, you've got some talent in, in yeah. this family. Yeah, I've been a blessed family for sure. Mom and dad used, must have done something right. I said their prayers good or something. But yeah, blessed family. This is like the Jacksons, but, but <laughs> new and Irish. <laughs> the Irish Jacksons. Yeah. That's it. Fantastic. <laughs> how, could, how did I not know more about this? I, wow. Anyway, I suppose because there's plenty that we can just talk about with just you, but I just wanted to go down a slightly random, I bet you've never been asked about your sisters as your first question about you. So No, I think I probably have. Once upon a time, we went to the States once, me and the boys on boys. And that was a pretty big question out there because uh, they were something to do with one of the big uh, Nickelodeon shows or something out there. Right. And they broke the States with one of their records and all. So I was their brother coming in and stuff like that. So, oh, that's yeah, fun. Yeah, 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 that yeah. must have been quite a nice change, actually. Yeah, for them, not for yeah. me. You know what I mean? So, it was all right. You were there first. <laughs> yeah. And I think, to be fair, in terms of global sales, you're still pretty still safely ahead. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> there, I'd love the idea that, like, around the Christmas table or something, there was, like, a tally at some point. It's How like, many number ones you got? <laughs> I got more. <laughs> Please tell me that happened. And if it hasn't, will it? This Christmas, yes. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up purposely. <laughs> Send me a video. I want to yes, see what yes, happens. Yes. <laughs> right, let's talk about you, man. You've had such a kind of... You've had such a decorated and interesting and different life, haven't you? I mean, from, from Zip you were kind of straight and just as you're kind of realizing what it's like to be a man, mm. you're in the public eye. Yeah, I suppose, uh, I think in, in the interest in word decorated, as a, as a young kid, I, I was always kind of competitive in that respect from, I don't know, motocross to BMX into, you know, any kind of sport uh, as running high jump, long jump. Uh, I always wanted to be the best. And I think when it came to music, I was, uh, it was a bit of, uh, of a, of a shock to my family because I never showed interest in music. Although okay. my family are massively music, I was not really that way inclined. I was a car head, as we all know. Um, my dad's a car mechanic. He built race cars, hot rods and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I grew up. Yeah. I worked for him in his garage. And as a friend of mine who just asked me, did it, you know, are you interested in being in a band? I was into music. I was into kind of, I was important hip hop and stuff. Um, from the States, uh, I think like Yo! MTV Raps came out in probably late 90, uh, about 90, 88, about 88, in, into Ireland that is. I don't know how long it's been going in the States. 
Um, but into Ireland, the OMTV reps came on, the, on, on our screens and I was just hooked by the whole idea of urban music and American urban street music. And as a kid like that, uh, I think being kind of Ireland, rock renowned, U2, Cranberry, Sinead O'Connor, all that mm. kind of stuff, uh, I was definitely separated from the crowd immediately from kind of everything I was into. And then even when it came to like riding motorbikes as a kid, kind of up and down the street, and not saying police chases, but police chases, like no helmets, just being a little bit raggo, you know what I mean? And, and that's the kind of kid I was. I was a little bit more of a street kid than I was anything else. So the whole idea of a boy band was was something of a, I, I'll say a big gamble in my right. life. A gamble right. because it's it wasn't really my character, but I seen it as an amazing opportunity. And uh, I would say I'm an opportunist for sure. Uh, I love venture, I love uh, business ideas, I love kind of doing what nobody else is doing. And at that time, certainly, nobody was doing that in Ireland. That's for sure. There was no such thing as a boy band in Ireland. Uh, and we created the first one called Boys On. And yeah, catapulted into the light. But what was interesting is that you, because everyone thinks of boy bands and they think of kind of that manufactured image, that look, that way of behaving. Mm. And I'm not saying this is specifically down to Boys Zone, but but it was kind of the template, wasn't it? There was lots of with you. Take Absolutely. that and everything else. You know, it's like... We're role models. You know, we're in the public eye. We're going to be fancied by prepubescent girls and their mums, you know, all the way through. And therefore, we have to we look certain way. You managed to still stay true to who you were quite a lot of the time. I mean, early doors, there was an incident with he was then known as Puff Daddy, if I remember oh, rightly. Aye, aye, aye. You know, there was it was quite a known thing that there was a naughty version of the boy band. And that was you. Yeah, I, uh, weirdly enough, I was labelled the bad boy of Boys Own, and and bring you forward. I'm sure we're going to get there in the, in the end, but ever so quickly, I, when it comes to us block boys, as in Boys on Block now, it was originally the bad boys on the block because we we were kind of the guys who uh, we took out the bad boys because you can never call yourself that. Allow the press to do that for themselves. I'm sure I don't know if the boys have spoke about this already, um, but we were the guys who met each other in. We were pop artists, of yeah. course. But then back in back in the late 90s into the noughties, uh, hip hop uh, in London certainly was underground clubs. So me and Dane, Benny, Abs, we always found each other in the hip hop clubs in London and maybe two around the whole of London. You, you, so it was always underground. So we always found ourselves there. That's where we're good friends for a nice. long, long time. Nice. So kind of back in the day, uh, I, I, I wasn't trying to be anything uh, other than just maintain a little bit of who I was. And I'm not, okay, I was a bit of a street kid, like I said, but not not to the point of where, maybe it just, it was enhanced when I stood next to the rest of the boys on boys. It looked visually enhanced sometimes, the way I dressed, the way I acted, <laughs> of course, uh, and the way, you know, some things kind of happened within the music industry of boys on is, is very well known. And yeah, but, but I wasn't trying to purposely do anything. It was just who I was. Yeah, I like that. And but what's cool for me though, Shane, is obviously you, you know, you had Boyzone, which was, I mean, just colossal. You know, probably, I imagine even now you look back on it and can't quite believe some of the things you achieved. No, incredible. I mean, I, I think to reminisce and to go back down roads of Boyzone times, um, the best of that is when you sit with the the other members of the band. Mm. And amazingly enough. And what I love about this, it's, it's, when I say biblical, I mean what's referenced to the point of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're not of the, of the word, meaning if you're not really into the Bible, you kind of say, oh, it's conflicted because it's saying different things. And I love that because 
all it is is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, let's take them as Gospels, was their uh, take on the, the journey they went on with Christ. Right. And it's a little bit that, like that for me. I remember going to different countries, different gigs, different interviews, different, very differently than the rest of the boys. When I tell a story, it's not like their story, yeah. but we all were sat there together. And lovingly, I, I think I remember way, of course, way more listening to the other guys, but amazingly, it's an amazing to hear how different we tell that story from our own perspective. Yeah, I love that. That's really nice. And you've got one of these things, and we'll, we'll come back to religion in a minute, if that's all right, because yeah. you kind of brought it, you've opened the door, so we'll, we'll go down there. But before we do, I want to sort of, I'm going to call you a Gary Lineker figure, and I'm going to explain what I mean okay. by that, right? Gary's cool. So, I, think Gary, I like Gary's. Gary's right. cool, but Gary's, <laughs> but Gary's a man who has been excellent in two chosen careers. Okay. You know, England striker, phenomenal goal scorer, and then he has proven to be a superb TV presenter. Know, match of the day yes, and all yes, the rest yes. of it and i would suggest that you're in exactly the same bracket as that you know you you couldn't get higher accolades than you did with boys zone and then your other passion your your huge passion from from childhood as you said cars mm. being around cars racing cars drifting and so on and so forth you have also excelled in that as a career not as a hobby not as a, oh i'll buy this and just chuck it around a track for a laugh you've actually been you know you're sponsored by monster for a reason not just because you're famous but because you are successful and you've applied yourself and you're good at it and there aren't many people i would suggest especially not at your age yeah you know gary's had a few years on you to, to kind yeah, of yeah. hone his craft do you know what i mean but you've been able to and it's probably because you started so young excel in two different fields and that's rare do you know i think i was i was Blessed for sure in both avenues, of course. And when it came to motorsport, I, I will, and I've always said, um, or the car industry, the motor industry, um, without a doubt, that's what fuels me. That mm. is my passion. That is my true, when I say true calling, I don't mean to be a driver, but my true love in life is, is cars. And be them race cars, be them custom cars, be them road cars, whatever. Um, it's it's something I was uh, definitely reared in and something that I wake up thinking about. Uh, music is something I learned a, an amazing trade. It wasn't necessarily my first and foremost. To me, I was going to take over my dad's workshop, his garage, mm. and become a car mechanic, build hot rods and whatnot for the rest of my life. And um, nicely, I still do that. And nicely, I still do music. And I didn't know... I could drive really until I was given an opportunity. And I, I think that's the case for most people. No, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, look, there's, there's way more talented uh, singers out there than most of the famous people and way more talented drivers out there probably than most of the drivers. Mm -hmm. But opportunity is key. And if you don't get it, then, you know, your life remains the way it remains. If you do or you have money or you're back in or whatever the case may be, well, that becomes your life. And, you know, it's, is it fair or not fair? It just is. And I think... As a driver, I, I was always okay. And I think as a, as a young street kid, again, like my, my first entry into, into cars, um, I, I kind of give you my first breakdown of four real quick. Uh, I had a, a Hilux pickup truck. And the reason why I had that, I bought that at 17 years old as my first buy because I was two and a front to work. But more to the point is because of Colt Seavers. The fall guy. Okay. I grew up watching the fall guy yeah. and his pickup truck was just <laughs> my love, my first love of cars. Nice. So that was my first buy. And then I kind of got into a bit more uh, of what is a fast car? Okay, I'm a car mechanic now. What are we doing with these cars? 
Uh, so I bought a GTI Golf, a Mark One GTI Golf. Of course you did. Of course I did. It's a must own, isn't it? It's a must Everyone own. Everyone has to have owned a Golf GTI at some point. So that's my first car, technically, right. is, a, is a GTI Golf. Uh, and then I put that on its roof uh, with <laughs> Mr. Keith Duffy from the band uh, in the passenger seat. That went on its roof, so I destroyed that. We were okay. That's an expensive crash, mate. Um, the record label must have been like, whoa, yeah, where's well, Steady? We, I don't even think we were signed. We weren't signed back oh, then. Wow. Okay. We were boys on. Uh, but then we didn't ever have a record deal that time. We 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 were in rehearsals somewhere, and I dropped Row off at his house, uh, Theo off his house. Mikey drove. Mikey was the only other guy who drove in the band. Uh, me and me and Keith Duffy, we grew um, only only streets down from each other, so we were going home. Brilliant. I put it on his roof, so it died. And then my sec, uh, my third second car toured by was um, an A86, which is a twin cam Corolla yeah so that's heritage of Ireland yeah. Twin cam Corollas like we we probably own every A86 around the world at the moment you can't get them for love no money they're all in Ireland and that's kind of where my love of actual cars and kind of not drifting because drifting didn't exist back then but rear wheel drive sideways to you know around roundabouts and that kind of car skill or car right, control nice. came from and then I think my dream car was a Porsche 911 Boyzone came along and then I bought my first 911, I think with my first wage packet of Boyzone or something like that. Um, so then my, my, my entry into the kind of car history, um, I don't even know the, the question was because I've gone on a rant there. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to the question. Yeah. I'm going to start a new question for you because it's, you've, you've had me thinking because you have passion for cars. I mean, I've obviously known about your passion for cars for yeah. a long time, but are you familiar with the, um, the TV show Quantum Leap? Yes. Where this, where this guy Sam goes yeah, in and, and he steps it. into other lives. Yeah, maybe he's, 10 he's, years he's ago. He's just trying it. to get home. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. old show, but that, every episode he falls into a different life and he has to try to solve that person's challenge and then he yes. gets beamed to another place. And every leap he's just trying to leap home. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's talk about that as a premise. Opportunity, that's what it was. But go on anyway. It was opportunity, <laughs> you're right. But I thought we'd take this one yeah. instead. If I could give you the opportunity, you couldn't be you anymore. Yeah. You could step into, you would either become Lewis Hamilton oh. or you'd become Bono. Jeez. I think only because of age I'll go with Lewis. <laughs> He's got way more years to live. <laughs> I think Bono's like knocking on every door. Right? Hey, what's going on, God? I'm All right. here. All right. Heyday Bono in that okay, case. Okay, okay. Heyday Bono. Um, no, it has, of course it's going to be Hamilton. It's going to be anything to do with motorsport. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be, to be a hero, um, and Bono clearly is an Irish hero and definitely a global hero for many reasons but Hamilton is is, is a different hero uh, yes he has a team behind him and yes I know it's his team who make him uh, into a great driver but you can't deny that he's an unbelievable driver his talent's there yeah. unbelievable and and I I, I am a, I'm not a massive fan of Formula 1 I do watch it pretty much every weekend that it's on but uh, I don't know who the hell's driving if, if that makes sense. So that's why I'm not a massive fan. I can't tell you, this guy and that guy drives with this team and that team, and I don't really know. But I love the sport. I love where it's come. Uh, I had a tricky period, and I think we all know that. But now I think there's some good racing. Uh, Hamilton, I respect his dedication. I mean, was he three times world champion now? He's gone for a fourth? He's, or he's, he, no, it's more than that. More? He's going he, for six. I don't yeah. even know. He's going for six? Yeah. What man, like, when you go home, and it's still just you, and I think this is the thing in anything in life. When we wake up in the morning, we just wake up as who we are. Yeah. We're our own selves. And how you feel are your emotions and how you think is your mind. 
And for a man to get up and continue to, to drive forward like that as a champion, as a, I mean, the dedication is incredible. Are you losing most of your life doing that? Mm. I don't know. Maybe you are. Are you living life doing that? I don't know. I guess each, each individual. And I think that comes, to, I know I couldn't do it. Mm. I, I would love to think I could, but I know I couldn't. I couldn't be that dedicated. I'm too, I'm too kind of, ah, uh, I don't know about that shit, going somewhere else. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm too much like that as a person. It's funny, we had Nico Rosberg on the show recently. Top man, incidentally, right. really good lad. 2016 F1 world champion. Right. And he quit two days after becoming world champ. Wow. And the character change in him, Prior to that, he was the Iceman, he was the wouldn't smile in interviews, you'd never get a laugh out of him. No one would have called him a top man, yeah. other than his close circle. Right. He comes out of that, and he's changed. Okay. Because he can now live. I it's like they've the taught the corset off. I think that's the exact point. So, it's a difficult life. Yeah. And i got to respect them boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Bono lived. You know, well, Bono, he's did at, he? He's at a right old party time. I don't know. Though, I mean, don't the, you think? The, well, the music scene clearly... Uh, is, is, a, is a separation. Well, maybe not back in the day. <laughs> maybe not the actual back in the day. Boys are drinking and smoking into the night and driving race cars. But I think the music scene, that's all you do. You, you party for most of your life. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things to do is to come off tour and integrate back into your family home. Because it's a world of... Look, you clearly can't go asleep after you play the concert to 20,000 plus people. Even if you don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't do anything like that. If you come off stage a sober man yeah. and go to your bed, you cannot sleep. I've tried it many, 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 many times to, you know, to see if I could be, uh, I don't know, get my life together, as some people would call it. Right. But actually, being in the music industry, it is your life. It is a rock star life, regardless of you're a pop band or you're a... Whatever. Music is music and the industry is the scene and the spirit is the spirit in that in that industry. And it has its own it has its own evil, if you want to call it. And that evil many in many ways is destruction and destruction at, at the best of times is the party yeah. and is the joy. So you're having such the best time of your life. But actually, you're, you're in self-destruct mode, mm. really, and you just mm. can't see it. So it's, it's hard in so many ways, which is worse, self-destruct or dedication to motorsport. And at some point you all, when you do turn that character off, no matter who you are and come into, right, it's over there and it's over there. And who am I? Who am I? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, who am I? But your life does change. Who are you now? And now I'm still, I'm still wavering in between the two, or actually the three. Uh, normal man, husband, father, music project, and Cars. I'm not necessarily professionally racing cars anymore, but right. I'm heavily involved in, I'm just making a TV show at the moment. Um, so that I think I'm just trying to dial that one into uh, my headspace um, of just a car show for my own wants and why I want to make it as opposed to making it for somebody else. All right. Mm. That's cool. That's nice. Well, because you have the freedom and the flexibility to be able to do that because of your stature, which is amazing. I told you we'd come back to religion because you mentioned it earlier. You brought it up a couple of times now. Am I right in saying, and I think it was Ben that, that kind of opened the door for you, as it were, some time ago, 2003, something like that? Yeah. You're quite a spiritual man. I think spirit, spirituality um, will take many forms in many people's eyes. Uh, religion takes many forms in many people's minds. I think religiously, am I religious? No. 
which is probably weird for some people to say, well, what do you mean? It's not religious. I think religiously we do, we brush our teeth in the morning. So that's just, uh, that's a habit. Yeah. Religion is, is, is a habit. I think for me, I have a direct connection to God that I love, that I trust in, that I confide in, that I think gives me everything that I need and more. And without a shadow of a doubt, that's, that is my... Uh, that is that's my first thought in the morning is Christ and why I think because back in all of the, the the 90s all of the parties all of the fame and the glory all of the what should have been joy uh, I always had a massive void that I, I could never feel inside mm. from the outside you know I'm living the best life of course I am and racing cars I'm living the best life but all, there was always something empty that that I could never feel um until I met Christ and then life became very fulfilled. Now, not easy, don't get me wrong. You come to God for many, many reasons um, and your own reasons, of course. But for me, it filled something. It filled the love that I didn't have. It filled the joy I couldn't feel. And it filled, I think, a loneliness that I felt for a long time. I mean, I've stood on stages in front of 100,000 people yeah. and being the most lonely guy in the world, wow. which is a madness. Yeah. Of course it's a madness. And then I can sit now by myself alone and feel like I've got the, the best friendship and best love and best joy in my life and that's God. And that's, is that constant? Yeah, constant. Wow, man. It's yeah. just always there. Yeah, always there. Kudos, mate. That must be spectacular. Aye. Love it. I want to say what's next, but I'd rather watch what happens because I, <laughs> I think that there's always an adventure with you in there. Yeah, man. Like, life, I was born and raised uh, as a young I suppose, suburban kid. Um, and I think opportunity, I was blessed to have a father that I had that I knew I, life was always gonna be okay with a business and stuff, you know. Yeah. I couldn't read and write, uh, massively dyslexic. So I think everything that I get and I move forward in, in life right now is always, I, I'm, I'm a visual learner. I'm a do, what I do is how I learn. Yeah. I can't pick a book up, I can't read it, I can't take that knowledge on board. I have to go and physically do it. So I think that's why, if you've ever seen me on any TV show um, or any car program, any, it's, I'm learning, constantly learning. So I have to come out of my house to go and learn. And, and that's why you will always see me do something that you'll never expect to see me do. Brilliant. Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Shane, what a pleasure. Thanks, <laughs> Thank man. you. Happy days. Andy J Podcast. My thank you to Shane Lynch. Great company, lots of fun, top, top man. Now then, I mentioned this, from Crime Alley to the top step of the podium. That's a sort of slightly tabloidy way of saying it, isn't it? But Darren Campbell's story is unbelievable. So let's get straight on with my next guest on the Andy J podcast. It is Olympic hero, Darren Campbell. I am so pleased to be able to welcome my next guest. I've got to say, genuinely, he's probably one of the UK's most beloved Olympic medalists and gold at that. It is the sensational superstar, Mr. Darren Campbell. How are you doing, Darren? I'm not too bad. Hi. Hope you're well. Really good, mate. It's it's an absolute joy to be chatting to you. And I've got to say, Darren, you know, I've, I've just finished your new book. It's called Ta Track Record. It's your autobiography. And I'm in that position now because I've been thinking about chatting to you because we've known this has been happening for about three weeks now. I've been thinking about chatting to you for like ages. And, and I read the book and I finished it just a few days ago. And I'm now in that position where I feel like I know too much 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Did I tell too much in the book? <laughs> no, it's, but it's brilliant. No, because like usually you must get this, right? Usually you read someone's autobiography and you get to know them. You've got this intimate look into their life. And, you you know, you read the autobiographies of people that you're fascinated by or who inspire you or, or, or who you like or whatever. But you don't then go and chat to them, you know, a few days later. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, just, yeah, that is strange. Yeah, because like I knew what I wanted to ask you before I read the book, and now I'm like, oh man. I mean, there's there's just so many corners here. There's so much to open up, and I and I feel like I've invaded your life in the most kind of fascinating way. First up, I want to say this is a sensational read. I mean, every page, I was just like, you had me on the edge of my seat. Ah, oh, that well, that's what I hoped when um, I wrote it. I wanted to be as, as honest as possible and um, really share the adversity. Um, a lot of people may know about the medals that I won, the fact that I won Olympic gold and things like that, but there's always a story behind it. So I want to try and tell that as best as possible. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I've been trying to sort of come up with like a subtitle for the book, if you know what I mean. You know, you know sometimes mm. like if you saw a poster of the book and if, like if it was a film, there'd be a tagline. And so I, I've kind of come up with the story of Olympic gold medalist, the thinker behind the sprinter. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> or I came up with another one as well, right? Yeah. The fate of a flat tyre. <laughs> yeah that's so true <laughs> so look because <laughs> it's I mean honestly you, you, I mean I'd, I'd known a, I knew a fair bit about you already and, and I've, I've mm. spent a bit of time with a good friend of yours you and Thomas who who speaks brilliantly of you and you know so I, I kind of knew you were going to be a really interesting guy to talk to but the detail and the level of fascination that you go into so I want to start I, I want to take you to the beginning if it's alright but only once we've mm. dealt with the, the more immediate which is your your reasoning for writing this book because you know one of the things we do on this show is it's it's all about showing everyone that because we talk to celebrities week in week out and it's all about showing everyone that actually we're all we're all the same we're all human we all yeah. red yeah. You know, and, and we all have our own struggles and our own battles and, and etc and when you think of someone who is a a you know absolute pinnacle of a physical specimen you know you you couldn't have been more impressive physically with the things you've done with your body etc you sort of think well they're invincible right yeah but yeah. Let's, let's just go to the more immediate future and then we'll go back through the story if that's all right and and that the reason for you writing this book was in 2018 something happened that, that flipped your world upside down yeah i had a bleed on the brain and um yeah it it really did um, shake up my world um, I was healthy, no problems. And then all of a sudden I just found myself in hospital with, um, uh, with that illness. And, um, I guess on recovery and coming through it, um, people have always said to me about writing a book and I just felt, I, w I felt lucky to still be here. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt like, especially for my kids, I'd, I'd never told the story to my kids. And I just felt what a waste it would have been if I didn't tell the story. Um, and yeah, it was really down to that um, scary situation, scary for my family. And um, I just wanted to try and find some light at the end of that tunnel. And um, I was approached by Tristan Bevan, who wrote the book. Um, he's a friend who I've known from doing a lot of coaching um, at rugby clubs. So he'd always wanted to write a book and it was kind of his dream to write one. And I just thought, you know what, I'll, I'll do it in an unconventional way. 
So um, I decided to let him write the book. But I, wa- I wanted it to be sensitive and written in the right way where, yeah, hopefully it did grip you, it did keep you um, enthralled and, yeah, just share that last bit of adversity, really. I mean, it's it's brilliant because throughout the book, you know, from page one, throughout the entire thing, and, you know, not just the stories of the various different Olympics and world championships and so on and so forth, but but your, your life to get to that point and the training and, and then obviously the aftermath, there is a story each time of resilience, of desire, of focus of work ethic and of course the one thing you can't control is is your health I mean you you know obviously you've, mm. you've, you've struggled with injuries from time to time during your career as well that's well known also but you know to have a bleed on the brain the, the pituitary I can't even say it properly pituitary apop- apoplexy is that right yeah yeah, glad, yeah. So, something like that anyway yeah but to have that <laughs> you know at a time as far as and you you go into this in the book you know it's it's associated with stress and struggles and, and when you're having a really difficult time. But actually that, if you were going to have one of these, that should have come during the really stressful times in your career, not when your business is doing well and you're happy in your family life and, and all that stuff. It must have been just such a, a a strike of lightning. You know, where the heck did that come from? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that was the biggest thing. Everything seemed to be going so well in my life. And then I was just, yeah, hit, hit by it. And, um, yeah, you, I, I didn't really question why, um, which is strange, really, because <laughs> I think the first thing you think is, well, why? Um, my initial thought was just trying to get back healthy, mm. um, whatever healthy would be, um, because, you know, there was the threat of potentially losing some of my eyesight. Um, initially, my balance was affected, so walking was difficult. Um, thankfully, I didn't have um, headaches and things like that. So I was, I was pretty happy about that. But yeah, it, it was a bolt from the blue. And yeah, just again, I think because of the things that have happened in my life, I, I tried to use the same tools of being resilient. And as I say, my main focus was trying to take that fear out of my family's eyes because lying on, lying on the bed in the hospital, I could really see how scared they were and how how close I guess I, I came to lose my life, and yeah, uh, um, the, I guess the perspective on it is just it makes me appreciate each day. I try and live each day, um, not live too far ahead, just enjoy each day. You know, um, waking up during that period and opening my eyes, um, I, I, I felt fortunate to be able to do that, and I appreciated, <laughs> I appreciated opening my eyes and taking a deep breath and it, it was a difficult time it was a really really difficult time it sounds I mean sometimes you know an individual or, or a company or a country or whatever needs something dramatic to, to almost hit the reset button in a way mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not belittling this on any level by the way Darren what you experienced is is extreme and and you know, you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but in a way the nation almost had something a little bit like what you had with the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% everybody's had to reset um, and potentially look at their lives differently. Mm. And um, I can definitely relate to uh, what happened to me and what's happening in the world right now. Um, it's a time of reflection. You hear people say that all the time. It's time to reflect and you know, appreciate how far you've come in your life. I think um, we don't sit down sometimes and reflect on how far we've come in our lives. And I think writing the book 
that was one of the main things I, I kind of got from the book, how far I've come. Yeah. Um, reading it myself, it was like, what, well, I went through that. And I did that. Because you forget, you just, um, as I say, you just live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, and it's funny, when you read an autobiography that is, is as wide-reaching as yours, you know, you go back to the very early days, you know, your childhood, and, and we'll get straight into that in a second. And when you read something like that, you sort of realise that, that this the length of an individual's life. And you think of your own self as well and you start going, God, what was I doing at that age? And, you know, it's, it's totally not where you are now. You know, it's, it's, it's a very kind of, it's quite a cathartic experience, actually. So let, let's start at the beginning, Darren, because, you know, I mentioned the fate of a flat tyre. And, uh, you know, we both had a bit of a giggle about it. But actually, mm-hmm. it, it's a huge thing, isn't it? You, you, are, you were brought up in Moss Side in Manchester, very humble beginnings, if you don't mind me saying so. Yeah, you know, single yeah. parent family, just you, your mum, your sister, and it was an area where you didn't have a lot of options. You didn't have a lot of choice, yeah. mm. and this put you in a situation where, on age sixteen, you were about to go and rob a pub. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Crazy situation. Um, unfortunately, poverty doesn't discriminate, and we were just. Yeah, it, it was a bleak time for uh, myself and my family. My mum was working three jobs to try and provide for me and my sister. And um, I got myself into a situation where, yeah, I was on the way to um, rob a pub. And um, I just remember riding riding my bike and just thinking, you know, if I'm not meant to do this, I need, I need to see a sign. Um, and then all of a sudden I got a flat tyre on the bike and, I think that's a, that's where my faith comes from. I think um, in that moment when that happened, I just remember thinking, I, I've dodged something. Um, who knows how it would have gone? Um, and again, you know, I wouldn't be on, on the radio show now talking to you if I'd potentially gone through with it. And yeah, I, I always look, look back on that situation as a massive turning point in my life. Um, as I say, it just made me realise that look, there are other options, and I need to try and focus on them and 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 try and find them. I guess <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? When you when you sort of think you could have, I mean, you could have gone down a path of of a life of crime. You could have ended up in mm. prison, or of course, and if you don't mind me saying, you know, you, you had a close friend who was who was murdered. Um, to yeah. You. Which I mean, how old were you when that happened? I can't quite remember the timeline on that one, but that, that was, um, I was time, around. Yeah, I was around the age of seventeen, seventeen, eighteen, and um, I just remember getting the phone call, and I was told that T had been shot, and um, I remember just racing down to where 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 it had happened, and his lifeless body was still on the ground, and um, it was heartbreaking. Um, again, another massive turning point in my life because you kind of got a full perspective of where where life could lead you if you're not careful. And um, I, I remember going to the funeral and my mum was there and um, as I walked out of the church, she just said to me, will I leave Manchester now? Um, and I was lucky, I was fortunate. I was already, I'd already, already been quite successful as an athlete and um, I had options. Um, and I think that's important in life just having options and seeing options. And uh, the option was to move to London and train with Sally Gunnell's coach or move to South Wales and train with Colin Jackson's coach. And I just thought, if I move to London and things aren't going right, it's just another big city where I could end up 
down the wrong path and I thought I needed to step out of my comfort zone. Right. So um, I moved to a small little village in South Wales uh, called Aberbargoid and uh, yeah, made that my home. It was so alien. Um, it's like I'd gone from this busy city to this really quiet little village and um, look, it was the best thing I ever did. Um, I still live in South Wales now and yeah, I definitely at times feel that if I had moved, yeah, moving to South Wales, pretty much I feel saved my life. Wow. I mean, those are two major, major events to come, you know, at such crucial ages, you know, suddenly fate stepping in and stopping you from, from committing a massive criminal act. And, and then, of course, your friend being involved in a gang feud and, and losing his life. I mean, that can't have been easy to deal with. But unfortunately, you were equipped with the tools beforehand from school. You know, if, if I remember rightly, you were you were badly bullied until you were big enough to fight back. And, and, and also you, you were a victim of quite savage racism on a regular basis. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, going to school virtually every day. I was racially abused and there was a couple of boys that used to bully me, as you said, until I got to a size where I could protect myself. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I ended up in a gang in the first place, because it felt like being a part of the gang, you had protection. Um, not everybody joins a gang to be bad. Um, sometimes it is just circumstances that lead you in that way. And I think for me initially, it was really just so I wasn't alone. Um, especially going to school each day, you know, no longer did I get bullied and yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those situations, you know, um, not all gangs are, are bad, um, but gangs are, are, they're not supposed to be a way of life. Do you understand what I mean? Um, it's just not supposed to be that way, but unfortunately for me it was, but it, it really did give me the tools really to understand life and see life from a different perspective and I was lucky because I was still as I said I was doing the athletics and I kind of had two different lives I had this life where I was involved in a gang but then I had this athletics life and they were worlds apart so um, at each I, I think the biggest thing at each moment was making the right decisions um, I think that, that they're the keys to how I was able to become successful really at the right times just making the right decisions yeah well I mean it sounds to me as well like whilst those horrible early experiences the bullying the racism the having to be gang affiliated and so on you know whilst having to have that as part of your childhood as you say gave you tools resilience mental toughness focus desire to improve etc the other thing you had on your side in a really big way was a proactive committed involved and engaged mum who was so determined to give you the best life she could and, and also who spotted your speed, you know, age six or something. And she was like, he's quick. We can do yeah. something like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The story that my mum tells is that she watched me run up my first ever school sports day when I was about six. And um, she, she kind of decided from that moment that I was going to be an athlete. For me, I, I wanted to um, be a footballer. I always yeah. wanted to be a footballer. I wanted to play for Man United. <laughs> that was that was kind of my dream. But at the age of 12, um, I remember watching the Olympic Games, 1984 Olympic Games. And um, I watched Carl Lewis win four Olympic gold medals. And that was the first time I understood where athletics could potentially take you. And it was just a simple dream. I'd watched Carl Lewis go out there, try his best. And if his best was good enough, he got to stand on the podium. 
And for him, he, he stood at the top of the podium and claimed four Olympic gold medals. And it was around that time that I, I kind of decided uh, one day I would go to the Olympic Games. So at the age of 12, I started practicing my autograph and I kind of <laughs> went into school. <laughs> I kind of went into school after the summer holidays and, and, you know, I would tell anybody who would listen that I'm going to go to the Olympics. And my teachers kind of said, look, kids like you don't go to the Olympics. They... Um, I, they either end up in jail or if not worse dead and that was yeah that was gut-wrenching yeah. but already the dream had been set and I think that's where competing as an athlete and winning medals became important to me because I wanted that feeling of Carl, of being Carl Lewis and look eventually through my career I was lucky, lucky enough to stand at the top of the podium well first stand on the podium when I won the Olympic silver in Sydney 2000 and then in 2004, you know, stand at the top and win that Olympic gold. But all the way through, you know, um, T, what happened to T was always at the forefront of my mind um, in the respect that I had to try to do the best that I could with the opportunities that I was given because, you know, he hadn't lived long enough to realise his dreams. So, yeah, I, I think that was one of the ways that I learned to deal with it. Um, it's one of those things that you never forget. Um, it's not like I, I, I've i ever let that go. I've never really been able to let that go because it, it, it was such a traumatic experience so young. Yes, yes, it must have been. I mean, it, it, I had a friend die when I was younger, not, not in circumstances like yours, but it does stay with you forever, doesn't it? Because it's partly the, the drama of it, the, the sort of sudden unexpected nature of it and, and partly because yeah. you know your, your your brain and your body and everything are still growing and forming and you don't really know what life is and then suddenly someone's so close it's just robbed of them you know you're just like crikey you know in a, in a way I don't know if you felt this but but my mate was called Piers and he died in a car accident and uh, you know in a way certainly for a good decade or so I sort of thought well I've got to try and do something in his legacy you, you know what I mean yeah yeah that's 100% how I felt um Look, I, I would stand on, I would stand on that line, and that was, and before, I, before each race, I'd say a little prayer, and he would be a part of that prayer because it just, it, it just felt so wrong that he didn't get to live his life. Um, look, stuff happens, um, and yeah, the, the the key is how you address it mentally. Um, I'm sure people listening have been through similar situations, and um, mentally trying to understand it uh, I guess you can't understand it and especially as you say when you're so young it, it really did leave a mark on my life and it, uh, at times I really did feel like I was running for his legacy mm. uh, as well as my own I can completely connect with that Darren it's um, it's a you know it's a really strange one and you wouldn't wish it on any of your mates or anyone no. growing up or anything and and this is no. other, this is the other fascinating thing with with Olympic athletes especially you know ones that have achieved as much as you have is that when you watch them on the telly, and you must have had this when you were younger, watching, you know, everyone racing on the TV and seeing how it goes mm -hmm. and stuff, you sort of think to yourself, well, they're where they are for two reasons. God-given talent, you know, they've just got that natural yeah. ability and training. And and you don't really think of anything when you, do you know, 
you must know what I mean by this. When you think of Olympic athletes, you don't really think of anything else in their life. You just kind of think, oh, yeah, they get up early, they train, they train, they train, they train, they train. But, uh, but their, <laughs> their payoff is they're the best in the world. You don't think, well, they go to school and they have a rough old time at school for, for reasons that are beyond them. And they have to, you know, fight their way through their world and their lives because life is tough. You don't think of that. And, and that's why I found this book so fascinating. And, and, and my respect levels for you went even higher. You know, I thought you were a top man beforehand. But, you know, to know what you've lived with, as well as the training and the dedication and the focus and the commitment, it's it, absolutely fascinating. Oh, no, I appreciate that. And again, that's what I wanted the book to be about. I've heard people say in the past about autobiographies that it doesn't really tell you anything you didn't know Yeah. Um, in people's books. And I, I just felt like if I was going to tell it, if I was going to tell my story, then I had to tell it in, I had to tell it then. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to share things that people didn't know. Um, I, Cause I, I guess I, I kind of hope that the book is inspirational motivational um and it it does give people an insight into me but also it makes them reflect on their own lives and understand how far they've come um and what they're capable of look we we all go through stuff in our lives and um at times it's hard to find a positive in, in what you go through but if you can you can come back and you can come back stronger from anything um it doesn't mean it's easy but yeah i just felt if i shared if i shared the story in the right way then people would understand it and get it and yeah just enjoy the whole story absolutely no you've, you've absolutely nail on the head now there's a lot darren about a certain mr linford christie of course mm-hmm. who you raced with you trained with and you trained with an awful lot which was which was brilliant but i think it's also important to point out that whilst you credit him and several others as as you know the people that you honed you into the athlete you are and you were really you you put the credit at, at one other individual's door the, the reason why you're as fast as you were of course is is thanks to mr carl pilkington <laughs> yeah. yeah carl pilkington grew up on the same estate as me and uh yeah he, he started it he tried well he decided to take credit for my uh, Olympic gold success. <laughs> yes. um, he he takes it back to when we were younger. Um, he, we used to have one of those gold carts that you push. Yeah. And with me being so fast, um, obviously I was the pusher. So I didn't get to spend much time inside the actual gold cart, but I spent the majority of the time just pushing him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said if I hadn't pushed, if I hadn't been pushing him when I was younger, you know, um, I wouldn't have become Olympic champion. So it's mad how you cross paths with people who also go on to be successful. But yeah, Carl Pilkington um, definitely uh, gets some praise. <laughs> Completely fair enough, Darren. I mean, really, you know, the, the, the way I think about it, you should probably let him let him at least, you know, loan the, the medals for a few days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I should do, actually. Yeah, that, you're right. I should, yeah, I should let him hold them for a year and yeah. then I he can send them back to me for a year and we just share them because without it. him. Maybe, maybe yeah. turn up to his house with a go-kart, you know, and the, and the medals in a nice box and just say, look, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it wasn't for you. <laughs> I mean, you know, Linford had something to do with it, but really it was, <laughs> yeah. it was the, the, the Mona himself. Brilliant. Yeah, but Linford, you know, with regards to Linford, no, Linford was a, an absolute, yeah, legend as, a, as an athlete. I think one of Linford's biggest strengths was 
just his mental approach to everything. Yeah. And I think um, as a, when you're trying to achieve uh, athletic success or whatever success, it's important that you have a, a mentor, somebody who potentially has done the same journey that you're looking to do. And I think that's where having Linford as a coach was invaluable. Um, I knew he'd walk the path that I was trying to walk. And yeah, I always say being with Linford is, again, where I got a lot of my mental strength from because just seeing how mentally positive he was um, as an athlete, yeah, was just eye-opening. And just, yeah, just learning from him every day was, was superb. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And I, I love the way you write about him. And, and of course, the highs and lows you had with him as well, because, you know, it's it's never all just breezy and easy. And there were times when you felt terribly guilty about, about certain things that happened with regards to Will Linford and you wanted to kind of right a wrong, as it were. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about when he um, got in trouble with the drugs? Uh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> and a few other things, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like moments when you sort of, told him that you'd go out and, and you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, let's deal with the drug situation first. I, I think, um, yeah, when, when he got in trouble for the drugs, I felt guilty because Linford had been, in, I don't know if I think this is in the book, but Linford had been um, invited to go to a competition and, and just waved to the crowd. And at the time, he was still training with me. And um, I was like, no, you should go and race. Uh, you should race, and then next thing he got, he got in problems with drugs. Um, to this day, I'm sure it was down to cross contamination. Because having a sports nutrition company now, I can see 100% how that would be an issue. And um, you know, in sport now, um, there is a, a, a companies that are part of Inform Sport, which make sure that every product that that's manufactured. Um, has no problems with uh, cross-contamination from other drugs. So, yeah, that was the first bit of guilt. But then uh, I didn't feel guilty about taking his championship record at all because <laughs> he'd been winding me up. <laughs> he'd been winding me up before the European Championships, uh, my first major medal. Um, he'd been, um, yeah, talking about how well one of my rivals had done. And I just remember saying to him, uh, again, it was just having that positive mindset. But I remember saying to him, right, not only am I going to win, um, but I'm going to take your championship record as well. And uh, that's what I did. <laughs> Done it. <laughs> <Boop>. <laughs> Mic drop. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Go on then, beat that. Oh, you can't, you've retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I often wonder, you know how, because we sort of mentioned briefly on football and you did play for a bit and, and you sort of decided that it wasn't the right thing for you and, and financially as well. You actually, there's a photograph of one of your one of your offers for a contract and it's it's not, it doesn't stack up to being a you know particularly great lifestyle despite what everyone mm -hmm. imagines. And you tried it and you thought, no, athletics, is, it's, that's better for me. But you know, in football, you sort of see these legends matches, you know, these games where like Bex pulls on the boots again and Razor mm -hmm. Ruddock, you know, all 50 stone mm -hmm. kind of shows up and everything else. And it's same on the tennis circuit. You know, you have the legends, you see McEnroe, et cetera, et cetera. Do you reckon that there's room, and maybe there already is and I just don't know about it, but do you reckon there's room for like, you know, people who have, who have who've done brilliantly in athletics, like household names, like yourself, you and mm. Linford and so on, to sort of do these before? I mean, could you do it? Would it, would it be something you could redo? Uh, you know what? It's, it's a difficult one and it has been tried. Um, 
we actually I, I managed to get the four by one relay team back together um, right. after the Manchester bombing. Um, we wanted to raise some money for the people that had been affected um, by the bombing, right. and um, we we put on our spikes. Uh, I think it was nearly. 10 years afterwards I'm not sure but yeah after all those years we put back on the spikes and um, we raced against uh, normal people uh, a few entertainers from like Coronation Street places <laughs> like that um, a couple of boxers and my oldest son even ran as well um, which was crazy he ran the same leg as me because <laughs> I, th- I think he wanted to beat me but yeah I think I, I think it's difficult in athletics to, to make it uh, a spectacle that it needs to be um, and also when you're trying to run uh, like you used to yeah that you're so close to being injured <laughs> because your body your body's just not conditioned to run the way that you used to run so um, it's one of those where when you when you finish the race you just grab that you got through it <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> I, I got yeah I gotta say it wasn't an enjoyable experience <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, listen, I put my back out building a snowman the other week. (laughs) I completely appreciate that. I mean, recently I've spent quite a bit of time with with Sir Chris Hoy. And, you know, he still stays in shape. You know, you obviously still train. You're still fit and active. You know, you and I know is kind of constantly running up hills for for the hell of it and pumping weights with with massive Mm. people and all the rest of it. But that's more a mindset rather than a, yeah, I could still do this, isn't it? It's more a sort of, you know, just to keep the tummy away. Oh, well, listen, I'll be honest. I struggle to motivate myself to to, to run, <laughs> um, it's, especially through this lockdown. And I'm sure people can appreciate it. it's been difficult yeah. um, at times to get yourself up. And um, you're so right. It is a mindset. I sent out a tweet last week just to say to people, you know, um, if you're going, if you're going through stuff at the minute, don't, don't worry. Cause you're not alone. Um, you know, I've been struggling to gain that motivation to get up even, you know, to go and run or go and walk, but it's so important, you know, um, just to free your mind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, last week, I think I went on a 10, 10 mile walk. Um, but I felt so mentally better for it. I hadn't done any form of exercise since before Christmas because once the gym's closed, that was kind of it for me because I've never been, I've never been able to be feel motivated to go out and run on the road okay. for miles and miles. Um, probably because I was a sprinter and majority of what I did was over ten and twenty seconds. Yeah. So the thought of running for hours it just doesn't appeal to me. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's important yeah for your mental well-being that if you can just go out and walk every day and it'll help you to feel better but yeah i'm not one of those that uh like you and i know you was crazy so <laughs> you, <laughs> you've got that crazy mindset um where you can go out and run on the road but it is difficult at times yeah, well, it, do you know what? It's encouraging to hear you say that, Darren, because my lockdown has been largely fridge-based, you know? <laughs> have, you, have you found it difficult? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, for various, I've I've done lots of sport in my my life. Not like not to your level, obviously, but I've been a very sporty mm. person, and therefore carry multiple injuries across various different parts of my body. So for me, like my fitness now as an old man with kids is, has always been a daily swim. But the minute they sw- shut shut the pools, I'm like, well, yeah, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah, eat. I'll eat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's important that people hear us be honest um, because then you don't need to, you shouldn't feel guilty. Um, It's not a case of feeling guilty. It's just trying to find that motivation. And like I say, if you can, if you can and are able to, you know, even if it's just for for a mile, you know, just try and get out each day and clear your mind. Um, Again, I was one of those that, if I did go out um, on a walk, I'd normally have music with me. But for the first time I went without music and that was just, it just got my mind ticking. I think that's the hardest thing in this lockdown, just trying to have positive thoughts. Um, But yeah, without music, I managed to find a lot of positive thoughts and uh, it was refreshing. It really was. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just being able to hear nature, the birds. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> life other than the TV and yeah. the endless movies and endless football yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely Darren listen it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you I could talk to you forever I must say I genuinely I endorse the book as being absolutely cap- captivatingly brilliant track record I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough and being able oh, to have this opportunity you. to chat to you as well is, is a real pleasure so thank you so much for your company I, I, I'm genuinely chuffed to bits mate so thank you very much Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. You take care and stay safe. The Andy J Podcast. See, I told you what a remarkable life. What an incredible guy. Loved chatting to Darren. Amazing. So, how do we follow Darren Campbell? Well, you already know this. You've seen it on the blurb. You've heard my intro. It is the one and only Mr. Rory Reid. I'm so pleased to welcome my next guest. He is an award-winning journalist and TV host. It's the one and only Rory Reid. How are you doing, Rory? What a welcome. Even better now after that welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, amazing. Thank you. Mate, you know, listen, you've, you've earned it. It's like when you become an award-winning broadcaster, right? It's, it's kind of the equivalent in a, in a much softer way of having, like, stripes on your uniform. Do you know what I mean? Or, or being made head boy or whatever, like, whatever the thing is these days. You should shout about it. You should, like, if, if, if your clothing could say award-winning, it should. Absolutely, yeah, which is why, which is why I'll, uh, I'll, I'll insist that when we end this interview, you remind people of that award. So, uh, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, like if people are decorated by the Queen or whatever, they get their CBEs or their MBEs or whatever it might be, and, you know, the, you can tell the ones that are super chuffed because they change their Twitter handle. You know, yeah. So it's like, why does your Twitter not say at Rory Reed Award winner? Um, I'm not, I think it did at one stage, but I, can, <laughs> I, I, I think I change it every year. What I want to do is win a new award, and then I, I can change it to multi award winning. Now, so um, watch this space. Watch this space. Boom! If you listen while we're on the subject of awards, if you could win anything, like anything, I don't care if it's an award or a hundred meter sprint race, whatever. What would you love to win? You know, I'm so competitive. I'll, 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 I'll win. I'll try and win everything from the lottery to. I've been playing um, online gaming recently a lot. I've been playing like uh, FIFA 2021. Um, oh, so I've been, I'm, been I'm really getting that. Yeah, super, super competitive on that. I just bought um, uh, 
Um, I'm playing my son, my five-year-old son on, on Xbox, and he's actually really good at that. I started out my career as, um, as a games journalist. So I, I thought that I was, you know, the real hot stuff, but now I played my five-year-old and he's, he's actually destroyed me. So. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be hot stuff, man, but you know, you're old. It's like, exactly. It's like this that. Is it. You know, this is it. Your reflexes slow down. You're not as good as you think you are. Blame the thumbs. But um, Blame yeah, the there thumbs. you go. But he hasn't. He, he hasn't won any awards yet, though. So I'm still one ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, yeah. When are you going to be head boy? Well, Dad, can't, can't do that till I'm 12. Yeah, and <laughs> get a move on. At least he's inherited his dad's gaming talent, even if he's now superseded you far earlier than he should have done. This is true, this is true. And he's got quite a few ride-on toys now. He's, he's got an electric scooter, so he's, he's getting into the whole spirit of being a petrol head. He loves cars, <laughs> by the way. He loves, absolutely loves cars. I've got, um, I've got a Ford Mustang GT 5-litre, and that's his favourite. He thinks that that's the fastest car in the world, by the way. I'll bring home loads of other stuff, like Lambos, Ferraris, <laughs> on, McLaren. No, hang on, hang on. We need to just have a moment for the mic drop there, by the way. <laughs> got, oh, yeah, i got a Mustang. Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's it's actually quite attainable. That's one of the reasons I love it, because you get bang for your buck. Yours you is know, orange, it's not, though, isn't it? Yours is orange, it's, right? It's, bright, it's triple yellow, bright yellow and black. <laughs> of course yeah, it you is. Can't, you it's, can't miss it. It's Bumblebee. It's base, basically is. Base, but my kid, he, he thinks it's the fastest car in the world, and I think it's partly based on the color. So um, there you go. It'll be the color, and also that filthy exhaust. Definitely, definitely you know, got myself. Is, they, uh, sounds loud, and it's got line lock as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, the, the exhaust is not standard either. The normal exhaust was okay, but you know, I had to step it up a notch, and now it makes um, it's a bit more noise than standard. You can probably hear me just before you see me coming. What have you got, like Inconel and titanium? Uh, it's not that exotic. No, not as, not as crazy as that. It's uh, it's a. a I don't know if I can say, well, it's a Quicksilver exhaust. Other car brands exhausts are available, but it's, um, it is a cat-back system, which means that it's still got a catalytic converter, yeah. but it's, it's been modified so that it's more, it breathes more freely and the noise can be, you know, released in a, in a much more uh, enjoyable way. Not, not, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not what I'd call antisocial, but it's, <laughs> you know, in the, in the car, you can definitely hear it. I remember when I got it installed, my, my daughter, she said, Daddy, can you hear a helicopter? And I was like, no, baby, that's the V8. That's the new exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's just daddy. Yeah. <laughs> that's just daddy. <laughs> and of course, the cool thing is, man, because it's still got its catalytic converter, you know the main benefit of that? What's that? You can race it at Le Mans. Ah, okay. Well, I, I'm, I, I 100% wouldn't race it anywhere. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that kind of car. I mean, it, Mustangs handle okay, but big power, rear-wheel drive, it's more for more for show than for go, especially around tracks. I love that we're geeking out on cars, right? Here was me thinking we'd just like be chatting life, the universe and everything and electric scooters. And immediately we're nerding out on catalytic converters and the sound of V8. <laughs> <laughs> like... God, we, need, we probably need to get a life actually. But oh, yeah, man, there you go. Why? Why? This is, I mean, this is petrol head heaven, isn't it? I mean, look, you've, you've been there. Look, let's touch on it. If you're happy, if you're cool, let's, let's touch on the TG because it was a thing and you were brilliant on it. And I, we have chatted about it briefly before where I thought it was ridiculous that you're not still on it, but you, you've, you've lived a life, man. You've walked the walk. You've hosted Top Gear. I mean, this is true. Yeah. Not many, not many people can say that. I mean, actually, no, it ha it's had a, a fair few presenters over its, uh, I don't know, lifespan, however far back it goes. But, um, you know, I am one of the lucky few to have definitely you know, taken part in that show. 
uh, I think I did three series of it now, three or four, probably four, I think, in uh, in a three-year span and, you know, managed to drive some amazing cars, go to some amazing places, meet some amazing people. Um, it was an absolute blast and it really, really was um, one of the highlights of my career. So, um, yeah, definitely tick that off the box. You're also the only, as far as I know, you're the only presenter that's been selected from an open audition, which is massive. Because I remember when they did the casting call for that, Rory. I remember yeah. they were like, they made a big thing. Wasn't it Chris Evans? Is that right? He made a big thing of, it was, yeah. you know, we're going to pick a member of the public, la di da da get your really short audition tapes in. There will have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people that went for it. So, you know. Yeah, I think, it was, I think there was... Like, I think there were, thank you. I think there were 15,000 people is oh. one of the numbers that was, that was thrown around. So yeah, you had to submit your 30 second audition tape, send it in and they whittled it down. Eventually it took them months and months to whittle it down. And then you had to go in for a screen test, uh, prove you could actually present in the studio. You know, they turned the cameras on the lights on and you in this big hangar and they were like, right, talk. And I, remember, I think it was a golf GPI I had to talk about. And then you had to jump on the, um, on the racetrack and drive a Mercedes E63 S. Uh, to prove that you know you you know you could actually handle yourself behind the wheel while talking, and um, yeah, no, it went well. And there, there were loads of people that you know were really qualified to do it. But in the end, um, what sealed the deal for me? I did a rap on a Rolls Royce. You did, <laughs> which, which which was uh, like an extra piece of uh, homework I did to to prove that I really wanted it and that I could do something different to other people. Yeah. And it went down pretty well. And they um, yeah, they gave me the job, which was. Uh, you know, and the rest is kind of history. 14,999 others didn't get the job, and I bet none of them rapped, and I bet that's that was part of it. I know people who got really, really close. I mean, I, you and I both know. I don't want to, you know, expose them, but we're both friends with them, and, you know, they're, they're very notable car people. They've been on big YouTube channels for a long time. They didn't get, you know, they didn't get where you got. So, mate, well yeah, done. Yeah, true. Well done. Yeah, no, thank you. Everyone's journey is different, though, you know, and mine mine took me in that direction. So, yeah, I'm pleased with, uh, with how things have gone. Can I just check? Because, like... I completely understand you had the dream, you achieved it, you lived it. There must have been moments when it was happening when you were looking in the mirror going, holy moly, pinch me, this is crazy. And then it, and then it stopped, which is a huge shame, but it didn't stop because of anything you did, if that makes sense. So you didn't, you didn't get dropped because you weren't any good. It was all sorts of other reasons, nothing to do with you. So can, yeah. I, just, can I just check that you've had, I realise you probably had a grieving process and were properly miffed and and, and, ah, and the world was rubbish for a short while. But can I just check that now, now that we're a year or two gone, has it had a positive effect overall in hindsight? A hundred percent. I mean, in terms, in terms of grieving, I don't, I don't know if you can grieve about something like that, really. Because so I don't think there's any sadness to be taken from, um, from, from kind of scaling those heights. It was, I'd, I'd always gone into into Top Gear with the intention of maybe do maybe doing it for like one series or something, maybe two if I was lucky. Okay. So to to have done, I think I think it was three or four. To have gone that far is was beyond my wildest expectations. And to star alongside you know the likes of you know Joey from Friends, uh, Chris Harris, you know meeting some amazing amazing people, the Stig, you know learning some things off him, um, and and actually like perfecting my craft in terms of being an automotive journalist and taking it to another level that you can only look at the positives from something like that. Yeah. And ever since that, ever since that time, you know, I've, I've gone on from strength to strength, both, both as a person, as a journalist, the things I'm doing now, I'm an auto trader running their YouTube channel. The things I'm doing you're like now, the, you're like the Mac Daddy of the auto trader YouTube channel. Now. You're the, the boss man, aren't you? 
that's my yeah, that's my thing. I'm the, I'm, the, you know, I'm the YouTube YouTube director of that whole uh, whole operation. So they've they've given me the what what what's really nice of Auto Trader is that they've they've looked at my career, they've watched exactly what I can do, and they've given me the freedom and flexibility to to kind of go out there and create. And I think if you if you watch the channel, you'll see the types of stuff I'm I'm creating with you know really talented team of people is. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a step down from what I was making when I was doing, you know, a big budget BBC show. It's. I think it's up there certainly in terms of quality and um, and and fun factor. Uh, and I'm I'm having an absolute blast. Well, it's also you're in charge, man. It's got it's got your voice. You know, whereas we all know when you make a TV show, you can be as as much of you as you possibly can, but you're still produced. You're still in circumstances that you haven't been a hundred percent in charge of setting up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With this, with Auto Trader and. They're a great group, man. They're still based around King's Cross, right? Um, they uh, they have various offices all over the place. Uh, okay. So yeah, and they, and they they are they are a good bunch. But people, you know, the, the the team changes. So every 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 series, you get new people come in and uh, and, and come and go. Um, but like you said, yeah, when you're part of that whole operation, it's a team of people. It's a team effort, and you are a cog in that machine. Whereas um, and I, 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 I'm happy to work in that setup, but um, I've always been. I'm a journalist first and foremost. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. A, I'm no, not a no, presenter. No, 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 I'm not, no, no, I'm not no, a comedian. No. I'm, Rory, Rory, uh, I'm Rory. not an actor. This is got, authentic stuff. I got to stop you for a sec, Rory. You're you're an award-winning mm. journalist. Let's there you go. Let's there you go. Right. Okay. Let's get this <laughs> there. You right. go. Don't ever call so, yourself just a journalist. You know, I'm an award-winning journalist. Own it, man. Come on. There you go. You got. You live it. Live it. So yeah. <laughs> so my. So so what I love is 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 the creative process and being able to, you know, to to create an idea from scratch and take it through to fruition and actually see it on the screen and go, wow, I was involved in the entire process there. And that's, you know, that's what that's what kind of really gets me up in the morning. To be honest with you. Good man. Are you still doing stuff with Crichton as well? Lovely Robert. Robert Llewellyn. Robert Llewellyn, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm contributing some bits and pieces to Fully Charged Show. Um, uh, haven't done anything in a, in a in probably a month or so, but you know how lockdown's gone; it's, it's made oh, things man. a bit more difficult. Rule books but, um, in the window, mate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, but we're hoping to collaborate a bit more in 2021 and beyond. We go, we go way back. Um, uh, we, you know, we met probably about five or six years ago, and he's he's a great person. That I, whenever I have a question about you know the industry and um, and certain decisions that I've I've made, I, I sometimes give him a text just to say, "Oh, do you think I've done the right thing here?" For example, and he's, yeah, yeah, he's he's a, he's, a, he's a he's a nice guy to uh to you know to sound sound things out he with. He's a nice guy. He's a really. I had a weekend with him in Amsterdam. Uh, or a couple of days yeah. with him, a couple of years ago. He's really yeah. good value, isn't it? God, that sounds seedy, doesn't it? It was with Ford, it was a car I didn't want to dig, like, <laughs> I, I didn't want to dig any <laughs> deeper than that, the whole Amsterdam thing. It was a car, yeah, it was a car <laughs> thing. But, I mean, God, that, I mean, if only, we're both, he and I are both too old for that to be anything, anything that could be anything other than, well, we went and played some chess. Do you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> it was just not yeah, cool no, that's, I, I couldn't see Robert uh, indulging in any of the other, uh, fascinating things that Amsterdam has to offer, but you know he's a, he's, a, he's a great he's a great guy, and like I said, hopefully we'll uh, we'll collaborate more. There'll, there'll definitely be some more auto trader slash fully charged show uh, collabs happening in twenty twenty one for That's sure. That's good to hear, man, because he is the authority, isn't he, when it comes to electric? I mean, he's just he lives it and breathes it, and there's a lot of people that will champion it who don't live and breathe it. He does. <laughs> Yeah, actually, how we met. This is a funny story. I used to work for CNET. CNET is a big technology company. I was um, a tech journalist, and I moved into um, doing films on car technology. And I wrote an article on CNET 
basically titled 10 Reasons Why Electric Cars Suck. Yeah. Um, and in the comments, Robert Llewellyn left a comment. I think it was the equivalent of 10 Reasons Why Rory Reed is an Idiot or something along those lines. And I was like, wow, it's the guy off Red Dwarf who's like really laying into me in the comments. I've, re- I've made it. You know, talk about winning awards. That was that was a moment for me. Um, and I looked him up on Facebook and it turned out we had a mutual friend. And I, I reached out to her and I said, um, oh, you know this guy, do you? Can you, can you sort of, you know, hook us up? Um, and was he, this we, the start you know, of Fight Club, Rory? Was this where, how it, it happened? This is basically, basically how it happened, yeah. And then we, we, um, we, we met up and we shot a video um, for, he was doing something else at the time. I think it was the equivalent of, uh, um, I forgot the name of it now. But we, it was a TV show and we rode around in a Nissan Leaf arguing about all the points <laughs> I'd made online. And we've been, yeah, we've been mates ever since. And, he he backtracked on some of his arguments. I backtracked on some of mine, and we, you know, we yeah we hit it off. And uh, ever since then, um, yeah, we've been good mates. But yeah, he's he's lived and breathed electric cars for years, and, and I, I've always liked electric cars, and I've watched them evolve over the last sort of ten years or so. And now they're getting to the point now. Well, they're pretty much there actually. They're they're at the point now where they're a really really viable proposition for for a lot of people. The cars the cars are close. I would say I'm not. I'm absolutely not sold on the infrastructure. Having done many thousands of miles in electric cars across the UK, I've almost every time, I hate to say it, it's just what's happened to me, my truth, as you'd say, almost every long journey has been wrecked by chargers not working, cues for the chargers, you know, wrong inputs, wrong whatevers. The charging system has failed my journey repeatedly and completely mucked it up on on several occasions and that needs to get fixed if if we've got a proper future of long distance electric i get why they're great city cars town cars etc i completely get that if you can charge them at home and do 30 40 miles great brilliant but if you've got to do 300 400 a thousand miles it becomes a different thing and it's not in my view in my experience we aren't ready yet not properly yeah the infrastructure is not ready yet but the great thing is that the government of banning new petrol and diesel cars from 2030, which means that the infrastructure has to get better. I, I, so the, people, people have said to me, it's, it's a bit of a ridiculous move for the government to ban you know, ICE cars that soon. But I don't think that we're going to see improvement at a fast enough pace unless a, a, a decision as radical as that gets made. So I think over the next sort of five years, you're going to see a couple of things happen. One is that infrastructure will just accelerate enormously and those long those long journeys where you have trouble right now you'll find that things get smoother because there'll be much more investment in that there'll be much more competition from companies who want to want to make that experience as good as possible so that we use their service rather than someone else whose machines are always broken and the second thing you'll see is that electric cars will get better as well because you know the big companies the Audis, the bmws the mercedes they'll start to have to invest massively in electric cars and we'll see improvements in range um, and it, they'll they'll just become better overnight, and that has to kind of kick up the backside the entire EV industry needs. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope and think you're probably right, man. But I also suspect that two other things need to happen. One of them is the premium that people are being charged for a decent electric car needs to come down because they are still prohibitively expensive. You know, for for yeah. for a premium car that can do 200 miles, this sort of money they're charging isn't isn't reflected in the drive experience, etc. And yeah, if they can't get the infrastructure right, we might see that deadline extended five, ten years, you know? It's a possibility, yeah. I mean it's I mean it's 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 quite likely to be honest with you. Um but 
on the on the subject of price, yeah, I'd agree with you. They are more expensive than and you're talking to a guy who has a five liter Mustang, right? I'm looking at it right now outside the window. One. So I'm not <laughs> it was the yeah, bright yellow one. And and so I'm not I'm not, you know, by any means biased towards petrol or or electric in one way or another. I just I I just look at um you know, look at the facts you're, and, you're and explain. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. Um but yeah, what what I think is is that, you know, the They'll get better. There will come a point. There will become a, a there'll come a tipping point where electric cars are actually cheaper than petrol cars because that'll be the, the, yeah, that'll be it. The te- yeah, the technology will get to that point where batteries are just super cheap to manufacture, and we'll see electric cars become untenable. There will be no reason to buy um, a, a petrol car other than you kind of you know, like the vibrations and the, and the whole. Um, inherent noise and, and feel of, of, an, of a nice car. Yeah, so there, there, will be, there will come a tipping point where it makes it will make better financial sense to buy an electric car. And we're almost there. Even now, I did a comparison of a mini electric versus a, a, a petrol mini. And even though you pay, if you're buying it on finance, you're paying roughly about £100 more per month. After the first year or so, you start to break even, depending on how much you drive, of course. So, yeah, they cost more initially, but over time, because they're cheaper to run, you can save money on an electric car. That's sound, mate. You're absolutely right, you know, with, with the charging and also with, with the fact that servicing them's dead simple. You know, it's not, it's not yeah, like yeah, you've got to yeah. figure out an engine and an exhaust and all the rest of it. Absolutely get it, man. Well, I mean, look, we talk about kind of having enough power to get certain miles and is the infrastructure there, etc. Here's a seamless transition for you. Radio-esque, my friend. How about a shorter distance? Tell me about the British public <laughs> travelling short distances. <laughs> <laughs> that is slick. Yeah. So, so uh, I've, I've been doing a bit of um, uh, kind of, you know, talking to, there's this electric scooter company called Dot. And they've done they've done some work where they've released research that says since lockdown happened, the first lockdown, what we're finding is that a lot of people in the UK are now shying away from public transport, um, and they're moving towards other means of getting around. So uh, it look it looks as if sort of fifty percent of us are saying, perhaps even more, are saying that you know I'm a bit afraid of jumping on a tube or a bus, and I'd rather find other ways of getting around. Now for long journeys, car brilliant. For shorter journeys, they tend to walk, but they won't walk that far, maybe up to two miles or so. Mm. So what's interesting is that they're saying to themselves now, people of the UK, that electric scooters might be a great alternative to walking or driving. So we've seen a massive, I certainly have anyway, when I'm walking around, I I look around, I see people on on electric scooters everywhere. And it Mm. seems to me that over the next few years, electric scooters are going to become a much, much bigger deal in terms of getting around. I don't know if you've seen the same thing. I have, man. I, I'm still unsure what the rules are with them, though, because for a while you weren't allowed them in Royal Parks and stuff, were you? Or, it, or not on the pavement? Yeah. Or not on the road? I can't remember what it is. I, I'm befuddled so, on it. But what are you, where so, are you allowed to use them? Let me defuddle you. Yeah. Um, so the you cannot use... If you buy an electric car yourself from the shops, from the internet, you cannot ride it in public. You can't ride it on the public road, uh, or a pavement, anywhere like that. It has to be on private land. That's the, that's technically you're breaking the law if you ride your own electric scooter out and about in the UK. Okay. However, what they're doing right now is that the government are working on a trial whereby electric scooter rental companies like Dots, who did the research, can actually try out. Um, get, what they're trying to get to is a situation where we can rent electric scooters from reputable companies for use. Uh, around town. So the idea is that they'll work a little bit like Boris bikes. 
So you'll be able to right. um, walk or drive to a car park somewhere, use an app, and then hop onto an electric scooter and then ride around to your heart's content and then park it in a designated area. And that will effectively allow you a little bit more freedom in terms of how fast and how far you can get around without a car. And um, they've done a load of trials in the UK at the moment and things seem to be going quite well and they're rolling it out to more and more areas all the time with the aim, I'm thinking, that they'll become completely legal in the UK to hire. And maybe after we see them on a, on a, on a kind of uh, um, e-scooter rental basis becoming completely accepted, maybe we'll see that extended to personal e-scooters as well, whereby you can buy your own e-scooter and then ride that around. Yeah. But at the moment, yeah, it looks like um, it looks like we're heading for a future where e-scooters will definitely become much more part of the furniture. You know, I like the idea of having the rental thing, Rory, because I would I would assume and hope that that also comes with, excuse me for kind of getting a bit overly personal here, but I would assume and hope it comes with a little bit of tuition before you kind of jump on one of these things. Because the instant, I've been on one before, but also I, I've had a friend who was killed on one. Um, because she, oh no, sorry she, to hear that. Yeah, thanks, man. Emily Hartridge, bless her. She she just wasn't ready for the instant acceleration, and that's, yeah. that was what happens with these things. You kind of need to be shown. You need to be taught. Right, look, if you push this button in this way, it's going to zoom you off quicker than you think. And and like I once made the mistake in a royal park of of trying to do a selfie on a on a e scooter, and mate, it's <laughs> you can't do it. Or yeah. at least I couldn't. You know. Yeah, so. no, it's, you need, you need two hands on it. You need two hands on it. Um, uh, tragedies like that do happen and I'm really sorry to hear about your friend um, in, it, what's really interesting though is that these e-scooter companies are, are applying technology to try and get around some of the problems that people associate with e-scooters so what we see is that when people buy their own private ones they're not often built with safety in mind but with the more I'd say higher levels of responsibility attached to e-scooter rental companies, they're applying technology to try and make them safer. So in the case of DOT, they've got these non-slip tires which work in all weather conditions. They have speed limits, so people can't travel inappropriately fast. And the speed limits aren't always applied to all scooters that you buy um, on, on your own terms. And here's the clever thing, they can also restrict the speed that new riders can go until they get used to them. So the first time you jump on one of these things, they might say, right, this is your first time, we're going to restrict the speed to X miles an hour so that you can build up your confidence and get used to the feeling of acceleration. They also have geofencing where they can apply even stricter speed limits in pedestrian areas um, so that, you know, you, you, you the, the scooter is almost thinking for you and, 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 and taking you by the hand uh, through that whole initial riding process until you get up to speed and build your confidence. Like and what's important, is that in the case of DOT, they also require a driver ID. So you need a driving license before you can actually ride um, and sign up to the service, which ensures, in theory, that people have at least some knowledge of the rules of the road before they then, you know, get let loose um, but by themselves. So there are these, you know, hurdles, the necessary hurdles you have to jump through and, and, and safety applied uh, in the case of a lot of these um, e-scooter rental companies that hopefully will make it um, less like the Wild West, really. Yeah, man. Listen, that sounds responsible, thoughtful, considered, and and staying very much with kind of public safety in mind. And so, therefore, I'm 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 really impressed. That's what you want to hear, you know, because these things, as as they've been treated pre- previously as kind of Playboy toys, they are they are dangerous. It's been proven. But if you're being kind of 
coach through it like that with restrictors and etc. It sounds great, man. I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got, I've got, I've got an e-scooter myself, and I, I ride it um, on private land, obviously. And the first, the first time you get on it, you, it can be quite surprising how quick they are. Um, and you know, as, as as good and as confident as I am behind the wheel of a car, uh, sometimes it can you know feel like a, a very different experience when you're on a on a scooter and you're going full pelt. So having having the backup of these safety systems uh, are baked into these um, scooters from the e-scooter rental companies is um is I think is massive. I think it has to you have you have to have those systems yeah. just to help people feel safe and and keep others around them safe as well. 100% with you, man. I like the sound of this a lot. It, so, it sounds quality. Um, Rory, 2021 can't... I mean, wow. What's the plan, man? What's going to happen? <laughs> for me? Yeah. Well, I'll mean, t- tell you what. T- what's going to happen for you and the rest of us? <laughs> what's, what's happening to the world? What well, we look, look into my crystal ball. I mean, in, ter- in terms of, you know, wider uh, transport network infrastructure system, I... I I hope that e-scooters, since we're on that subject, get rolled out um, and and people, you know, d- to discover that e-scooters can actually be integrated almost as part of the wider public transport system. Yeah, nice. Because 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 I think they have a, a role to play. Certainly, there are people who live, you know, out in the sticks that have to use a car. I'd love to see people get more options in how in how much they um in how they can get about, get about. I don't want to see people rely on cars all the time, especially for short journeys. You just don't need it. So e-scooters could become a, a much bigger part of our lives in that sense. In terms of you know wider predictions for 2021, electric cars are going to be massive. So we, you know I'm I'm doing way more electric car content on Auto Trader. And if you look at our YouTube channel, there's I've just literally just published a, um, a review on the new Tesla Model Three, the Standard Range Plus. I took it um, rally driving with a Christmas tree on the roof. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> um, so yeah, EVs are going to be massive. Um, so you'll see that reflected in the auto trader content. Uh, and just beyond that, for me on a personal level, hey, I just want to I just want to keep having fun in cars and, and come out with crazy adventures and, and, and silly things to do in, in pretty much everything I jump in. Because like I said, that's what that's what gets me up in the morning. Like what ridiculousness can I get up to in this car um, uh, day, on a day by day basis? So yeah, 2021 is going to be um, just more craziness for me. Amazing. Mate, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. Thank you very much for your company today. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. The Andy J Podcast. That's it for the Andy J Podcast for this week. Thank you very much for lending me your ears and joining us on the Conversation Carousel. Thank you, of course, to my special guests, Shane Lynch, Darren Campbell and Rory Reed. Great company, and I think and hope you'll agree. Some absolutely incredible conversations, thanks to their honesty, their interest, and uh, yeah, just their bringing it. They brought it, so I really appreciate it. I mentioned as well when we were talking about Shane that, of course, he's a huge car man and he's been on the Driven Chat podcast. That is our sister show, our automotive spin off show. So if you're into your cars and you like stars and cars, I would love to direct you to the Driven Chat podcast. I'm very proud of it. It's a great listen, served up by myself and my great friends, John Markar and Amy Shaw. So do check out the Driven Chat podcast. Thank you for your company. Have a lovely, lovely week. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth. So please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review and share. Thank you. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.